0: Take your Bibles and turn with me, please, to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Everybody is following a leader. Somebody is leading you in some way. I have tried to be a leader in churches for a long time and one thing that I have noticed is this the greatest leader ever is Jesus Christ no one comes close to being as good a leader as Jesus think about it his earthly ministry only lasted three and a half years. And yet within that time the entire Roman empire from east to west was saturated with the gospel of Jesus within just a few decades. Think about that. Nothing like that has ever happened with any other movement. And here 2,000 years later, millions of people every year still become his followers. Who else can say that? Only Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the greatest leader ever to live. And he is a leader worth following. That's what I want to talk to you about today. Jesus a leader worth following Isaiah 714 perhaps the most famous Old Testament text about Jesus birth listen to what the prophet said therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign behold a virgin will be with child and bear a son And she will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, let's look at the context of this text. Let's see what's around it so we'll know what it meant originally. And then we're going to look at the prophetic note that God also instilled within this verse. If you look at the context, going all the way back to verse 1, wicked king Ahaz, king of Judah, his grandfather was a godly man, Uzziah. His father was a godly man and king, Jotham. But Ahaz was an evil leader. He filled Jerusalem with Pagan worship. He even offered his sons to Molech in the fiery furnace as a sacrifice to his pagan deity. And God disciplined him by allowing some native lands to invade him, two kings in particular. We read about it in Isaiah 7, verse 1. It came about in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Raisin, the king of Aram, and Pekah, son of Ramalia, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to wage war against him. So King Ahaz, all of Judah, feared these two kings, Raisin, the king of Aram, Pekah, the king of Israel. We read in verse 2 in Isaiah 7, when it was reported to the house of David, saying, The Arameans... Have camped in Ephraim, his, that is King Ahaz's heart, and the hearts of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake with the wind. Now that's a whole lot of shaking going on, all right? The Bible says in Second Kings and Second Chronicles that rather than turning to the Lord, wicked Ahaz turned. To a very wicked king, Tiglath Pileser, the wicked king of Assyria. So God says, No, I I don't want you to turn to Tiglath Pileser. I want you to turn to me. And he sent Isaiah to him, the prophet, to tell King Ahaz, Don't you align with a pagan nation. It really does matter who we align with. It really does matter who we connect with. And Isaiah the prophet said, you need to trust in the Lord, not into this wicked king. And he told him that, beginning in verse 3. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out now to meet Ahaz, you and your son Shirar, Jeshub, and that it means a remnant shall return, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool. I'm telling you, God knows where you are. He's at the end of the conduit (laughs) of the upper pool. You can't hide from God. On the highway to the fuller's field and say to him, take care, be calm, have no fear. Don't you be faint hearted because of these two stubs of smoldering firebrands. That's what he's calling these two pagan kings. They are two stubs of smoldering firebrands and on account of the fierce anger of Razan and Aram, the son of of Ramalia, because Aram with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has planned evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah, terrorize it, make for ourselves a breach in its walls, set up the son of Tabiel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God. Now, when somebody like Isaiah says that, you'd better perk up. You'd better listen. You'd better be leaning in. God's about to talk. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand. Nor shall what they say come to pass. For the head of Aram is Damascus. The head of Damascus is raising. Now within another 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered so that it is no longer a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria. And the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you will not believe Ahaz, you surely shall not last. God promised Ahaz, I'm going to protect you even though you're wicked. I'm going to protect you because you're ruling over my people. All of Judah will be protected. The Lord silence and shut down these pagan kings. If you will not believe, though, you surely shall not last. But Ahaz struggled, as I said earlier, with idolatry, doubts, fears. And so God had to give him a second message through Isaiah. Sometimes we don't get it the first time. He didn't. And so here comes Isaiah again in Isaiah 7, verse 10. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz God is patient, is he not, saying, ask for a sign. Now this is where we're getting to our text, verse 14. Ask for a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it deep as Sheol, as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, oh, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Sounds pretty pious, does he not? But he wasn't. Then he said, listen now, O house of David, is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you would try the patience of God as well? And here's our verse. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin, that is a woman, will be with child, bear a son. She will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. He, this boy, will eat curds and honey at the time he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. For before the boy will know enough to refuse evil and choose good, The land whose two kings you dread will be forsaken. Now, what he's promising is that there's going to be a a boy that's going to be born, and he's going to be born, and before he reaches what we would call the age of accountability, when you know right from wrong, you know, I believe there is a season in the life of children. I think if an infant dies, that infant goes to heaven. I believe that with all my heart. I don't believe any baby that dies, God would send a baby to hell. Absolutely not. God lets them reach that age of knowing right from wrong. That's where we get, this is one of the texts we get it from, one of the primary texts in the Bible. We get it from to know good from evil. And then when they know that, they choose to disobey God. And when they choose to disobey God, they're accountable before God. That's not what the sermon's about. So let's get back to the sermon A virgin will be with child, bear a son. Now this had immediate contextual emphasis. Ahaz, before a baby, within five to six years, these kings are going to be gone, if you will trust me. That's the historical meaning. But friends, this verse also has a messianic meaning. And the Bible picks it up in Matthew 1. 22 and 23, the New Testament says, now all this, the birth of Jesus took place to fulfill, that is to fill full what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, behold, read it with me, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. 750 years before Jesus was even born. Isaiah prophesied that he would be born, and not just born, he would be born a leader who would be born of a virgin. So now, let's see just three things about why Jesus is a leader worth following. And if you don't know Jesus here today, I want to encourage you to become a follower of Jesus before you leave this service today. First of all, Jesus is worth following because Jesus is a sovereign leader. He is a sovereign leader. He is a leader sent from God. He is God's sign. He is God's word. He is God's leader, a sovereign leader. Look at the verse Isaiah 7:14 Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign not four or five signs but a sign. He's going to give you a sign and that is Jesus the sovereign leader. Jesus is a sign and he was a sign for all mankind. God has spoken to us in several ways. God speaks to us through creation. You can't really go out at night and look at all the stars in the sky, and not believe somehow that there's a God behind all that? How in the world somebody believes the foolishness that all of these many billions of stars were just randomly accidentally made? I have no idea. They say, oh, there was a big bang. Well, that's about as weird as I can even think. I'm just telling you a big bang. Who do you think, if there was a big bang, who do you think did the bang? All right. (laughs) What's going on? I mean, creation demands a creator. There is a creator. And we see that in the stars and in the heavens and all that's around us. But we also see God has spoken through the scripture. When we read this book that's made of 66 books, we know that these books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New, when we read these words, we know that they are on fire. We know that they're alive. It's the living Word of God. It burns in our hearts as Christians when we read the Bible. Oh, Jesus, thank you for the Word of God. Thank God for creation. Thank God for revealing himself through creation in Scripture. But the ultimate, the ultimate revelation of God is through his Son, Jesus Christ. The little girl said, Jesus is the best picture God has ever taken. And that is exactly right. God sent Jesus, and there was nothing left to say. He's the Alpha and the Omega. I like to say, He is the ruler of all royalty, the sovereign of all society the commander of every country, the leader of every earthly lord, the general of every generation, the president of all presidents, the emperor of all empires, the monarch of all monarchs, the potentate of all patent potentates, the king of all kings, and Jesus Christ, praise his name, is the Lord of all lords. He is a worthy, <laughs> worthy leader. His office is perpetual, His throne is permanent, His reign is eternal. No president is a problem for Jesus. No senator can shake him, no representative can replace him. No judge can in, has jurisdiction over him. no committee can cancel him and no council can condemn him. He is worthy of being followed. He is God's glorious sign. Sovereign leader. Jesus Christ, therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The second reason Jesus is worth following is because Jesus is a sacred leader, a sacred leader. Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Now look, behold, a virgin will be with child. Think about what I just said, a virgin will be with child. And bear a son. I believe, and I sure hope you believe, that every baby, born or unborn, every birth is sacred to God. It may not be to the United States of America, but every baby and every birth is sacred to Almighty God. There is nothing more precious than a baby, especially an unborn baby. And I believe that all, and this is not a political statement. Some of you will think it is, but I believe this is just a biblical conviction that anyone who would vote for abortion has innocent blood on his or her hands. Every unborn baby and every birth is sacred to God. Jesus' birth was especially sacred because he was born of a virgin, consequently free from a sinful nature. Liberal theologians deny Christ's miraculous virgin birth because they say there's just no way it could have happened. There's no way it could have happened but God. Everybody say but God. (laughs) I'm telling you, that's a good way to live. Amen? Well, the doctor told me I'm sick, but God. Well, they say this is going to really take me down, but God. Well, this might happen, but God. Just live with the Lord in mind all the time. He's got his hand over you, and nothing is impossible with our God. Mary was a virgin. When she conceived Jesus and she remained a virgin. Liberals try to deny it, but it's in the Bible. And as far as I'm concerned, if it's in the Bible, it's in the book, it's true. The first person to hear about the virgin birth was the virgin. The Bible says Gabriel, an angel, came to her. We read about it in Luke. You can look at it on the screen. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Coming in, he said to her, Hail, our greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement. She was just a common girl, a little teenage girl, poor girl. She was perplexed at this statement. She kept pondering what kind of salvation this was. The angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you'll conceive in your womb, bear a son. You'll name him Jesus. Now, this is before they had all the ultrasound stuff, okay? You're going to bear a son. Here's the gender. Here's the name. He will be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the, the house of, David, of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be? How can this be since I am a virgin? And it's obvious she was. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Behold, even in your relative Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing, I love this, will be impossible with God. And Mary said, oh, She surrenders to the will of God. That's what we all ought to do. Behold the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary knew that she was still a virgin, but she miraculously conceived Jesus and she bore that as a blessing from God. Now the second person to hear about the virgin birth was Joseph, Mary's husband husband-to-be at the time when he heard it. Matthew 1, 18 and following. Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to, to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when He had considered this. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't you be afraid to take Mary as your wife for this child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You will call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. That's what the name of Jesus means. Jehovah is salvation. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child. See there? There it is. Prophecy is going to be fulfilled that we're talking about today. This, he's quoting Isaiah 7:14 in verse 23 here. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, shall bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel. And then Matthew gives this, which translated means God with us. Joseph awoke from his sleep. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded and he took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin, kept her a virgin, until she gave birth to a son and called his name Jesus. Joseph knew without any doubt that Mary's baby had been conceived in the womb while she was still a virgin. How else could God the Son be born except by a virgin? One of my dearest mentors over the years has been a man named Dr. Jerry Vines. I love this sweet man of God. He's still living, still preaching. He's in his 80s. And he wrote something recently about the virgin birth that I thought was just priceless. Three simple sentences. No virgin birth, no sinless life. No sinless life, no perfect sacrifice. No perfect sacrifice, no salvation. Let me just read it again. No virgin birth, no sinless life. No sinless life, no perfect sacrifice. No perfect sacrifice, no salvation. No virgin birth, no sinless life. Jesus was only the only person ever to be born of a virgin. Because of his virgin birth, he had no sinful nature. The Bible says that every one of us receive a sinful nature at conception. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Romans five twelve says, Therefore... Just as through one man, that's Adam. We all come from Adam. I don't know why people don't get it. We're all connected biologically. We ought to try to get along, okay? We all came from Adam and Eve. The Bible says, through one man, sin entered into the world, death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. Every person, every person since Adam and Eve has been born in sin. The Bible says, in fact, David said in Psalm 51, verse 5, the greatest confession of sin in the Bible from David after he had done what he had done with Bathsheba and killed her husband. He said, behold, Isaiah, or Psalm 51, verse 5, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. I was born in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. The moment I was conceived, the seed that gave me birth was filled with sin i am had sin i was conceived in my mother's womb as a sinner and paul picked up on that and said the same thing in ephesians 2 verse 3 among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh indulging the desires of the flesh of the mind why we were by nature children of wrath even as the rest how does a how does somebody become a sinner they're conceived, that's how. They're, they're already a sinner. It's not just when they're born, it's when they're conceived. They have the element of sin in them. From the moment of conception, we are sinners before God. But Jesus was born of a virgin, free from a sinful Nature. And the first reference to that is in Genesis 3, right after Adam and Eve commit the first sin. God said this to the devil Genesis 3, verse 15 I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you, that is, her seed shall bruise you on the head, you shall bruise him on the heel. Her seed is a reference to Christ. He's going to be born of a virgin. And then the seed of woman is a biological impossibility but a theological necessity. God miraculously, divinely allowed Mary to become pregnant without any seed from man, just the seed of God. The Holy Spirit came upon her and she had the child. No virgin birth, no sinless life. And then the second statement of Dr. Vines, no sinless life, no perfect sacrifice. The only sinless person ever to live was Jesus. We read that in 2 Corinthians 5:21, God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Jesus is the only one ever, To live a sinless life, and Jesus is the only one that could die an atoning sacrificial death. Jesus Christ is our Savior. No sinless life, no perfect sacrifice. And last thing of Dr. Vine's statement no perfect sacrifice, no salvation. For sin to be forgiven, somebody had to pay the price. Jesus, aren't you glad? paid the price first John 2 1 and 2 my dear children I write this to you that you will not sin but if anyone does sin we have an advocate we have a representative with God Jesus Christ the righteous one he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And I love this last part, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Don't tell me Jesus just died for the elect. Jesus died for everybody. I can go up to a stranger anywhere in the world and say, Jesus died for you, and tell the truth. Jesus Christ shed his blood and gave his life as an atoning sacrifice, but no perfect sacrifice, no salvation. No virgin birth, no sinless life. No sinless life, no perfect sacrifice. No perfect sacrifice, no salvation. Oh, I'm so grateful that Jesus was born of a virgin so that he could die an atoning death to save our souls. Jesus is a saving leader. Praise his name. Jesus Christ is a sacred leader. Jesus Christ is a sovereign leader. And Jesus finally is a saving leader. The last part of this verse says, and she will call his name, say it out loud with me, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God with us. Religion says you can work your way up to God through doing good things and trying to refrain from bad things, but all people are too sinful to ever make it to heaven that way. Christianity and Christ solved that problem. Instead of us working our way to God, God came to us in Jesus, died on the cross, paid the penalty for your sin debt, and that is the way Jesus provided forgiveness for you and for me. Isaiah 53, 6, one of my favorite verses on the atonement of Christ. All of us, read it with me, please, from the screen if you can see that all of us like sheep have gone astray each of us has turned to his own way but the lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him you know what happened when jesus was on the cross god took all of your sin all of my sin all of the sin of everyone ever to live and laid it on jesus christ he bore our sin that's the bible why the bible says in second Corinthians 5 21. He, God the Father, made him, Jesus, God the Son, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. He died for your sins, and he rose from the dead to give you eternal life. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you. What is the gospel? Well, he's about to give it to us. Which you also receive, in which also you stand, by which also you're saved. That's some strong language there. If you hold fast the word which I've preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, of first importance, what I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And I'm telling you, unless you believe that, you can't be saved. But the moment you believe that, you are saved. The moment you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you, shed his blood for you, and that he is your atoning sacrifice, and then you believe that God, even though he was buried, God raised him bodily from the grave. The moment you believe that and repent of your sins, you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior that's what you have to do today amen and unless you believe in a bloody cross and an empty tomb you'll never have a relationship with almighty god she will call his name emmanuel jesus is god with us not some god way out there like the other religions hopefully we can work our way. Oh, no, no, no. Jesus is God with us who has come to die on a cross and be raised from the dead to show us that he is our Savior. Oh, Jesus, you're a saving leader, and you are worthy to be followed. You know, historically, there have been some pretty bad leaders. I'm going to show you three pictures of three of the worst leaders in recent history. How about this guy? Yeah. He was elected as the leader of Germany in the 1930s. He was going to lead them to a 1,000 years of prosperity, but within 13 years, he would have wrecked the whole nation. Six million Jews would be dead and five million prisoners of war would be put to death by this insane leader, Adolf Hitler. And then Idi Amin, third president of Uganda, ruled from 1971 to 1979. That's when I was in high school all the way through college. And he became a dictator. He butchered about half a million people of his own citizens, one of the most brutal despots in modern world history. And then I've showed his picture before, Pol Pot. Pol Pot, socialist communist. Some people say, why are you against socialism? Because people like this are for it. That's why I'm against it. All right. And uh, he was in the dictator in Cambodia from 1976 to 1979. He butchered all of the leaders, all of the preachers, all of the main leading Christians, the teachers and all of the Bible. He butchered anybody of intelligence in Cambodia. He made them all slaves. He wound up slaughtering two million Cambodians in what they call the killing fields. And Don and I have been there and seen the remains of those people stacked as high as this roof in columns all around Cambodia. Don't tell me that leadership doesn't matter. Don't tell me that we don't need the right leader. And I want to say this to you, there is no leader on this earth and there never has been who is sinless except for one, and that is Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, you need to be following Jesus. I never thought I would quote Bob Dylan in a sermon. But all week, I've been thinking about his song, You Gotta Serve Somebody. Dylan Song says, somebody's going to lead you. And my answer to Dylan Song is, it needs to be Jesus. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You may like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You might be a rock and roll addict prancing on the stage. You might have drugs at your command, and then I added these words because I didn't like what he said, and be in a rage. You may be a businessman or some of, or some high-degree thief. They may call you doctor or they may call you chief, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You may be a state trooper. You might be a young Turk. You may be the head of some big TV network. You may be rich. You may be poor or may be blind and lame. You may be living in another country under another name, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You may be a construction worker working on a a home. You may be living in a mansion. You might live in a dome. You might own guns. You might even own tanks. You might be somebody's landlord. You might even own banks, but you are going to have to serve somebody. You're going to have to serve somebody. Now, listen. It may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. February 1976, I decided to follow Jesus as my leader and my Lord. And I have never regretted it. He is a leader worth following. Let's give him praise right now. Amen. Amen.